Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. Let's start. I was saying that if I'll be honest, too many people, I think just have their dating ideas and fantasies and all of that. Simply, even people in church, simply from like models that come from like media, you know, the internet, social media, just all of that kind of stuff. And so what I want to do today is I want to do a quick check. We don't, let's see if we're just building our love and dating stories out of what the world throws at us. So let's do a very quick check. I'll just be calling out some things and everybody online also joining. Just yell out your answers at me. If it's a yes or no guy or girl, just yell out your answers. Okay, so let's go. Yes or no. Can a lady ask out or propose to a guy? All right, all right. Can, must, must a guy go down on one knee to give a ring? Okay. All right, guy or girl, who should be the first to say I love you in a relationship? Okay. All right, here's a question. Yes or no? Is it normal for people to take breaks from a relationship? Okay. Hey, guy or girl, who should pay the bills on our first date? You know, all I want you to do is just be taking note of your neighbor's answers, okay? That's all. Um... Now, listen to this. Can a guy ask his girlfriend for financial assistance? Okay, okay. Should, should my girlfriend know how much I earn? The ladies are so emphatic, yes. Wait for the next one. Should my boyfriend know how much I earn? Yes, okay, okay. Just to make sure it's going to it. Now, let me ask you guys this. Final one, final one, final one. And I want you to be very honest. This is Sunday morning. 9.45 a.m. It's a time when God moves. Listen. Would you be at ease to express to your partner what good you saw in your ex? It's kind of quiet in this holy assembly. Okay. All right. Let's go. Whether you are, whether you're in a romantic relationship or whether you are married or not, all right, wherever you are in life, I believe that my thoughts today will help all of us, will help all of us um, on this journey of being better people and of rediscovering, you know, the beautiful journey of love that I believe God calls every one of us to, okay? During the week, we were taping a conversation. Um, it's a love through the generations conversation. It's really beautiful. We're going to be showing it on Friday. And um, we had three couples on set. And so there was my parents. They are 42 years in marriage this year. There was the Kizos. They are going to be two years in marriage this year. And there was my wife and I. We're nine years in marriage. So it was just like a conversation of, you know, how do you see it? Really beautiful stuff that you get to see this week. But at the end, I was just making announcements and I was just saying stuff like, next week Sunday, we are going to have um, how to be holy, how to stay holy when you're horny. And as I said that, I looked towards my parents and I'm like, um, mom, dad, you know the holy part? And they're like, yes. And then I said, do you know like horny? And my mom goes, oh, uh, yes, now what you used to drink tea instead of sugar. And then I just, uh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> You know, um, but have you ever looked at some adult or some person and just had this feeling of, you can't understand, like, the way this thing is, right? There are things that are just far away from where you are, whether it's in terms of ideas, in terms of culture, fashion, and all of that. You guys are just far away. Things have moved. You, the, the wording is like a, you don't understand. You don't understand. Do you know that adult that likes to come around you and be trying to form young? They will come and say, ah, uh, what's up? <laughs> are you an Efiko? you like... <laughs> You don't, you don't understand what's up, right? Like, and stuff like that. And sometimes, if we'll be honest, this is what I want to say today, if we'll be honest, we actually battle with a sense of the Bible 
and you know, God's word being some kind of outdated book. Maybe you wouldn't use those words, but when it comes to the terms of the burning realities of 2023, like love and romantic relationships and figuring all of this out, you feel like the Bible is some outdated book coming around and you're like, mm, Bible, you don't understand what's up, right? Here you are, you're loving a girl or you're loving a guy and you're having all these wild feelings and trying to sort out your emotions and questions arising. And then culture seems to understand, you know, like the internet seems to understand. Maybe even just turn on the radio and they're singing a hymn on the radio and you hear these words. It's saying, I look and stare so deep in your eyes. I touch on you more and more every time. When you leave, I'm begging you not to go. Call your name two, three times in a row. Such a funny thing for me. Try to explain. And then it says, uh, um, got me looking so crazy right now. Your love's got me looking so crazy right now. Got me looking so crazy right now. Your touch got me. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you, like, like, I'm, yeah, like that, we, we, we bore, we, we relate, or, or maybe even just flip another station and another hymn is playing. And he's saying, what would I do without your smart mouth drawing me in and you kicking me out? You've got my head spinning. No kidding. I can't pin you down. What's going on in that beautiful mind? I'm on your magical mystery ride and I'm so dizzy. Don't know what hits me, but I'll be all right. On and on and on. And then it says, you're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning because I give you all of me and you give me all of you. And all of that. And you're like, oh, more like, yeah, like bars, like we ball, like, and, but you're like, ah, oh, man, I'm a Christian, or I should be reading the Bible. So, so you kind of like pick up your Bible and you're like, yes, I just need something on romance. And of course, Song of Solomon is the place to go. So you go to like Song of Solomon, like, let this, let me get something in the Bible. And then chapter four, verse one, he now says, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. And your hair is like a flock of goats. Goats to real Lauren. Like, like I'm saying, give me bad. You're telling me like I'm like goats. Like going down from Mount Gilead. <sighs> Sometimes it feels like it's outdated, right? Look at Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Yeah, like, man, it's getting hot here. Then he brought me to the banqueting house. Take me to a restaurant. Which is banqueting house? Anyway, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. Maybe, let's be honest, sometimes you actually just look at your Bible, and you may not say these words, but your vibe is like, mm, you don't understand. And maybe we should ask today, because it's like an elephant in the room thing. Is God's truth still good enough and complete enough to build an exciting relationship on. Maybe that's the big question that we have to be asking ourselves. And maybe you're here today, you're saying, I'm, I'm in love with a Jesus guy, but can Jesus stuff, like, be enough? Like, you know, like, yeah, I love him, oh, Jesus guy, oh, Jesus girl, but, mm. like, for example, now, vows is on Tuesday, eh? Instead of hot romance, he will be quoting romance, you know? Like, like, I tell her, let's go on a date. She will dress like Mary Magdalene. Like, like it's, I, I get that it's a Jesus person, but what I hope to do in the next few moments is that I can show you that, man, it really can't get any hotter and truer and more fulfilling than doing a God thing in a God way. And so if you actually hold your Bible and your faith and you look at it with that vibe of, ah, you don't understand, then... That was probably exactly what the Corinthian Christians would have been telling Paul. So let's do a quick journey and let me paint a picture of what it was like 
to be a Christian in Corinth back in the day. So Paul on his second missionary journey, he evangelized this place that is modern day, it's in modern day Greece, but it's this city called Corinth. And basically between like 50 to 52 AD, Paul spent like one and a half years there and he established a Christian community there. But man, Corinth was a crazy place. Corinth was large, it was an international metropolis. There were people from different backgrounds from all over. And for some reason, because one, it was a very prosperous merchant city, so there was just a lot of traffic, and it was the most prosperous city in all of Greece. And so as a trading center, you can imagine that it was just high influx and all of that. Commerce flowed in every direction, and there were abundant signs of wealth in Corinth, right? Again, Corinth was between Athens and Sparta, and so it was like a melting point of some sort. Like, it was just like the, the great place for a lot of young intellectuals. It was a booming city, so to say. And just outside the city, there was the Eastman Games, which was the second most prominent sporting activity after the Olympics back in the days. And so there was a lot of young sportsmen and a lot of attraction towards that also. So basically, you're talking about like a young, sporty, intellectual, active city. Prosperity, though, this very prosperous city, it brought what we call pagan hedonism. And this is just talking about like a sensual pursuit of pleasure. It was all over. Corinth actually developed a reputation that was widespread throughout the Asian world for sexual license. It was basically regarded as the sexual capital of the Asian world. There was unending opportunities to engage in immoral behavior, you know, just without, apparently without any consequences, like it was just the thing. There's a guy called Leon Morris who described this important city as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. Perhaps what was... <clears throat> Even more significant of the factors, you know, leading to this was that there was just, of course, there was this gross, unashamed immorality. Um, these guys known far and wide for their sexual looseness and everything. Now, there was this prominent site in Corinth called Acrocorinth. And it was a sharp projection which rose to a height of like 1,800 feet, just up there. And there, there was a temple that was built um, to the god Aphrodite. And it was basically this symbol of lust. This goddess or whatever, Aphrodite, had what they call um, priestesses of the temple. And basically, there were 1,000 of them, and it was just like up on a hill, and you'd see them coming down as, as history records in the evenings, and it was sex as you wanted. 1,000 girls, like, just however you want it, it's loose, it's legal, it's everything that everybody goes for, right? And they'll basically come down, and it was considered to just be a normal part of life. The attitude of the city towards immorality involved no condemnation whatsoever. They were famously known also for orgies, and you just have a hookup, like three, four couples, five couples come together, have a hookup, you know, you drink, you eat, you just have all the pleasure you want, and then it's like, okay, who will you be with? And everybody just hook up, it's just, you know, hit and quit, casual sex, um, just everybody, it's everywhere, like everywhere, everybody does it, everybody is doing it, right? It's just normal. I'm thinking about it, does it, does it sound familiar? Does it sound like some kind of deja vu, right? Like, it's just sex everywhere. It's normal. And, I mean, it feels so hard to be a Christian when your colleague at work, just think about what it's like in current, and your colleague at work is always gisting about some babe and what happened last night and all of that. And, I mean, and I'm relating that to where we stand now. You are going to have colleagues, and you can't determine what they're going to do. You're not in control of their lives. And somebody's coming by to work and just always talking and about what I did. And, I mean, except you work in church office and stuff like that. But, you know... Hopefully. Um, or, or when you are walking down the road and you just realize that um, 50 meters from your house, they've opened the new strip club or, or something. Um, and all your schoolmates are obviously having sex. And 
not even, they're not even hiding it. Like, this is different from my parents' generation when it was bad people, bad people that tried stuff. Now it looks like it is normal people. It is it's what normal people do. I remember many years ago, before I got married, being on tennis court, and I, I just finished playing and was just chilling by the side. And these two guys were having, like, a banter argument and all of that. And then one of them wanted to, like, you know, like, you want to shade somebody. And then he says, oh, you stop talking to me. You, you that you're even still a virgin. And the guy's like, God forbid, God forbid. I'm never, ah. and, I, and he almost like, ah. Okay, so I remember going home like, eh, like, you know. <laughs> but man, we live in that kind of day and age. Secondary school students are doing what you wouldn't imagine, right? Maybe even primary school students, who knows? This is like the craze of Corinth. Think about what it was like to be a Christian in Corinth. To be building a relationship, a Christian relationship in Corinth. Like it was hard. For one, you yourself are probably even coming from that background because before you were converted by, by Paul's gospel that he preached, I mean, maybe that was even your own normal also. In fact, in Corinth, apart from the Jews who typically had their own strict moral codes, like Gentiles, most of them, this was their life, like it was so normal in Corinth. By the time Paul was then writing to the Corinthian church, the kind of things that he was talking about. So Corinthian sexual craze was just the normal for these guys. Um, but today I want to say that the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful because Paul comes by Corinth and he comes in this city where it's so messed up and there's just all this looseness and all of that. And Paul comes preaching the gospel. He doesn't come with a new moral code. He doesn't come saying, hey, reduce how much you're having sex. He doesn't come with all of that. He comes preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 18, he's talking about his time in Corinth. And in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. And he testified to the Jews that what? That Jesus is the Christ. Look at verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized like these guys that were so messed up so far away so living in sin and immorality they started to hear the gospel of Jesus crucified and the Bible says many of them began to believe and put their lives and their faith in Jesus and so Jesus changes our hearts so that he can change our lives because after evangelizing these areas, Paul starts teaching and discipling them, okay? Like, okay, I preach you Jesus, and that's what I preach, Jesus and him crucified. Then I now start to teach you that now that you're a Christian, there is Christian culture. There's what you do. There's what you don't do. There is how you live. There is how you don't live. There is what Jesus does not, you know, teach you to do. There is how to say, starts to disciple them in all. So Paul had previously written a letter before 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians. And so he's talking about that letter. And you can imagine Paul trying to disciple these guys. So he wrote the first letter. We don't have the letter but we see a reference to it in first corinthians 5 verse 9 he says i wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with the sexually immoral people you can imagine all that paul has to start telling them about hey that you guys you are now christians don't keep company with sexually immoral but they took it wrong they thought he was talking about sexually immoral people of the world and he's like no 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 i'm not talking about the ones of the world look at verse 10 11 he's saying i'm talking about the ones in the church the ones who claim to be christians who are in the church but are sexually immoral paul says don't keep company with them don't even eat with them with such a person and Paul starts writing and correcting them and saying, hey guys, it's wrong. He's writing to the church and he's saying, I can't imagine that there's a member of the church you are sleeping with your, your stepmother. <laughs> like the way Corinthians do this thing. And he's like, don't do that. It's not right. You correct that person. He's having to be talking about all these kind of things. All right, so some five, six years later, by about AD 57, the Corinthians now wrote him a letter. And then he's going to reply their letter. And of course, they wrote him a letter. They're writing to our spiritual father with all the questions burning on our hearts and all of that five years down the line and all of that. Guess what the letter will be about. Guess what their questions will be about. You see, for the Corinthians, many actually found it difficult to understand that what they once considered a virtue was a sin. 
Like it was difficult to understand that. So, of course, the church in Corinth existed in this grossly sinful atmosphere. And it, of course, had its mark on the church. There were many of the problems in the church were, you know, those kind of things, like sleeping with sexual issues, you're taking communion, you're getting drunk before that people have been served, like just disorder, just all that kind of thing. So they reached out to Paul in a letter, and they had all these questions burning, all right, about marriage and about sex and all of that. So in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul now says, okay, guys, concerning the questions that you wrote, look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, of course, this is what they will ask. Is it good? Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? But um, wait a minute, Paul, this is chapter 7. Um, they wrote you a letter and they asked you questions. Now you want to reply. You're writing a letter to reply. And then you have written six chapters. That is now in chapter 7 verse 1. You now say, hey, that question that you asked, let me start to answer it. And so what Paul did in this letter is exactly what I want to do today. What Paul is showing us is that the conversation doesn't start from your hundred questions. If for people trying to build a relationship, trying to figure things out, and I have all these questions, you know, should I break up if the girl doesn't know how to cook well? Uh, can we kiss if we are in a serious Christian relationship? Uh, no, how far is too far? Like, like, like how far is, is, is too far? How long should we date? Um, what is short enough to be safe, but long enough to be thorough? Uh, he says it doesn't start from your questions. Nothing really starts from your questions. It starts from listening to God's predefined answers. So what Paul does is he starts the letter by reaffirming what it means to be in a right standing with Jesus. We don't start by trying to defeat a woke culture or by trying to engage and all of that. We have to redefine and reaffirm ourselves in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So what Paul does is that he's affirming identity in what Jesus has done. Let me walk you through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And they're like, Paul, did you hear the question we asked? He said, yes, listen to this first. Listen to what Jesus has become for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says it's all about Christ and Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, it's all about the spirit that has been freely given to you. Now you have all things. You know all things because the spirit is freely given to you eyes have not seen ears have not heard it has not entered into the mind of any of the things that God has prepared for those who love him but he has revealed it to us by the spirit 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 he starts to speak identity you are God's building you are God's field 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 you stand on the foundation that is laid which is Jesus Christ there is no other foundation he's starting to tell them see yourselves in the light of the truth of who Jesus is to you 1 Corinthians 3 verse 19 he says the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God there's a wisdom of the world there's the wisdom of all the guys around that are going to Aphrodite and all the guys that are just having a fling and doing all of that. There's that kind of wisdom. But he says that wisdom, when it comes to God's standard, he says it is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1, he starts to emphasize that, look, you are a steward. You have been entrusted. God gave you a life. God gave you your body. God gave you that relationship. God gave you that opportunity. God gave you your resource. You have been trusted as a steward. And in verse 2, he says, because you know you are a steward, you must be faithful. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 14, he starts to say, look, come on come it's not i'm trying to shame you i'm not shaming you i'm just warning you as beloved children i'm speaking the truth to you paul is that kind of guy that can spread that we ask you one question you go ah. now came in chapter seven you now say eh -eh, what was your question see if we are strong in our jesus given identity and if we are living out of a fresh revelation of who jesus is to us 
then we have the wisdom for the right now questions of our day. Building a love story. See, more than anything, what the devil will try to do is to bring into us questions. We start to question our stand and our standards and we start to feel it's all outdated and all of that. We start to feel it. you don't understand. The Bible doesn't understand. God's word doesn't understand. Jesus is this faraway person that's just concerned when we're singing holy, holy, like it's far away. But I'm like, this is burning. This is here and all of that. And see, it doesn't matter how crazy everything around us is. Maybe you came this morning and you're just saying you don't understand. Everybody is doing it. I look slow. I look like I'm out of touch and all of that. Again and again, Paul in this letter would throw in these words. Do you not know? 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know? You are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells in you. 6 verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 6 verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy? You were bought at a price. There is something that kind of awareness will do that it would help you to start to interpret the questions, right? And over and above who we are, over and above what is around us, we must not lose sight of who we are. What Paul is showing us is that Jesus' people put who Jesus is to them in the lead of their lives. Not the times or the context in which we live. Jesus' people put who Jesus is to them in the lead of their lives. A Christian relationship will set Jesus as its standard. See, there's a lot of context that we would figure out, applications and all of that, but a Jesus girl or a Jesus guy knows to put Jesus and his truth at the center of their love story. Not some Hollywood movie or not what people say or what people expect. We put Jesus as our standard. And see, Jesus' truth is timeless. Listen, it is timely and it is timeless. It is right on, it is right now and it is timeless. His standards are ageless. Let me tell you how you know you are with a Jesus guy. He will put Jesus first, even over you. I'll say that again. Let me tell you how you know you are with a Jesus guy. He will put Jesus first, even over you. Not everybody, when I say I'm in love with a Jesus guy or a Jesus girl, not everybody who says Lord, Lord. I'm not saying church guy. I said Jesus guy. Jesus guy will put Jesus first. Does he tithe? Does he honor Jesus in his money? Does he worship? Will he lift his hands and say, it's about Jesus here. Will he be gisting with you during what? He's not a Jesus guy, Jesus guy respects Jesus more than you. Are you hearing me this morning? He's not the guy that during worship is, is texting. No, he puts Jesus first. Same with Jesus girl, all right? Jesus comes first. See, I, I love my wife, but I love Jesus more. And there's no apology about that. Eh? It's Jesus that can correct my head for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. The primary context of a Christian relationship is not the day and age in which we live. It is who Jesus is to us. And we must not lose that focus. So what Paul does is that, I'm going somewhere, please stay with me. What Paul does is that he now goes on talking about marriage and relationship. In this letter to the first Corinthians, he's talking about marriage and relationship and spiritual gifts and spiritual order and all of that. But by chapter 13, and this is just still in the context of their question, by chapter 13, he gives this timeless description of love. If I'm in love with a Jesus guy or a Jesus girl, then I must go beyond a feeling and truly walk in a Bible standard of love. And so what Paul does is that, you know, more than the vibes you feel, more than all of that, now you want to now say, let God's word be like a mirror. Let me be looking inside it and say, man, I want to not just feel in love, I want to walk in love. So let's look at our relationships this morning, just in the light of God's love standards. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'll take from verse 4 and I'll read to verse 8. It says, love is large and incredibly patient. See, friends, let me tell you the truth. If you go by the world today, you will be small and incredibly impatient. Small is when you think it is all about you. 
A Jesus guy is not small. It's not small. It's not petty. Eh? A Jesus girl is not small or petty. Love is large and incredibly patient. Pettiness, smallness, uh, uh, April 21, 1998, when we first met, you said this. Uh, February 13, 2019, you said the same thing in front of Mr. Biggs, the old Mr. Biggs that is now more, born more. February 21, how do you keep these dates? Small. Small cannot take a joke. Social media, eh? let me tell you how small social leader looks. Every, everything that goes up anywhere on social media. You call that your friend. Your friend posted a picture on his own. Please, let me take that picture down. My iWatch is not showing. Small. 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 Small has an Instagram account. All 30 posts are himself or herself. All 30. Me on a Sunday morning. Ready to go to church. Going for a friend's wedding. Put the picture of your friend that is getting married. On my way to the wedding. After the wedding. On my way to Vision Sunday, after Vision, small. It's all about you. Small. Love is not small. Love is large. I literally saw somebody put a picture celebrating my friend's birthday and put himself. Like, I don't know. Small. It says, love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Love is not rash. It's not brash and rash. Because I'm a Christian. I, I just finished binding the devil. The same way you are binding the devil and talking and rebuking Satan is the same way you are talking to your spouse. Love is not rash. Love knows how to treat a lady. And also how to treat a man. Gentle with words. Gentle with words. Your words should build, not break. Don't break people's spirits. May I just say my mind though? Be kind. See, being kind is not a passive thing. It is intentional. And usually we have to go out of our way to be kind to others. Being kind is choosing to see people how Jesus sees them and treating them with his love and his respect. Again, kindness is considerate. Hmm? Christian relationship is considerate. It's value, it's value, it's value. The present you're expecting, where will he see the money? You know the work he does. Where do you want him to see the money? I'm not facing my wife, I'm just saying generally. <laughs> kindness is considerate. You know he does not steal, except you want him to. You know the ones that were stealing. You said you want to date church person, church person, church person. You came to date Jesus boy, and you want Jesus boy to be performing like you. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Kindness is considerate. Love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. A Jesus guy or a Jesus lady is not threatened by their spouse's success. You say, if I'm a man, I must earn more than my wife. Do you know what you are saying by that? You are, you are praying against any form of promotion in your wife's life. That's what you are saying. How is that your standard? It's not threatened by someone else's success. Competing in a relationship. And maybe you're here today, you're a single lady and you're thinking, hey, if I succeed, will I threaten guys? Please, my sister, succeed. <laughs> buy, buy the car. Eh? Take yourself on vacation. God's plan for your life. It's not some insecure, miserable guy. 
Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. I'm the only one making this relationship work. Who told you? Told you. What you get to be in your relationship, what you get to contribute, that's the beauty that I'll be who I can be. Unless the idea is today, you must be like, happy to play your role. And in this social media, please read those words again. It does not brag about one's achievement nor inflate its own importance. Ask them a question in first service. If your social media account reads that verse, will it sweat? Will it sweat? Love is not vain. Look at verse 5. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. See, Jesus' relationship is generous with honor. It's not just generous, generous, both ways, generous with honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. We live in a real world and sometimes the truth is we're more irritable. But I'm showing you this as God's standards because what Paul does is that before he comes to 1 Corinthians 13, he starts out by saying, see, do you see who Jesus is to you? Do you see what Jesus has done? Do you see how the Holy Spirit is at work in you? Do you see how you are still working? Now, this is what Jesus is bringing out as an expression in your life. So it's not just a thing of this, what I'm trying to do, gradually to achieve. No, it's the working of Jesus in my life to make me this kind of person. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. You're counting scores from... Uh, this is the third time. My own is only two. <laughs> Look at verse six. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in being what is wrong. Please, I want to speak to Christian relationships today. Eh? Joyfully celebrates honesty. What is right is what is right. Don't behave like somebody that they are depriving that. Ah, if we are unbelievers, would have been. Ah, it's just that we are Christian. It's just that we are Christian. Love does not take delight in what is wrong. Eh? You're behaving like those children that they told you must not watch TV. Then they're now standing around. Hey, it's just that we can't watch you. Hey, until that, uh, hey, hey. See, Christian relationship, have a, have a rhythm, have a life. Your relationship is not just about what you can't do. It's also about what you can do. So it's not just that, ah, this sex thing until marriage. Oh, hey, this sex thing. Oh, hey, ah, it's just that we are Christians. Are you trying to say you think God is wrong? Tim Keller said, I'm going to quote him like next week. Tim Keller said, sex is... God forbids sex not because it's so bad, but because it's so good. Have a life. Hmm? Your relationship, don't let it just be about what you cannot do. Go and eat. Be full. Go out. Go and attend inaugural lecture. Go and go to art gallery. Look at art. Make memories. Are you hearing me? But you sit down every day and say, hey, we must not go there. It's just that we're... Hey. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Stop looking at your unbeliever friends as if you are missing something. They are wrong. Yes. Let someone say years ago, that someone will look at you and say, you mean at your age you are still a virgin? Look back at them and say, you mean you are not? I'm right here. I'm standing on God's standard. Joyfully celebrates honesty. Sincerity. Doesn't harbor wrong. A Jesus guy will not sin with you. Wrong is wrong. Whether anybody knows it or not, wrong is wrong. Listen, somebody who will sin with you, one day will sin against you. The problem is they don't see it as wrong. Are you hearing me? They delight in wrong. A Jesus relationship is authentic. Celebrates honesty. Authentic. You can be yourself. Not that you are twisting your mouth to speak for that is not in your mouth. I just always like you. Is that who you are? Honesty. (laughs) 
honest enough to be open about your struggles. A Christian relationship, honest enough. We, we know they're okay right now. Like, why is so honest enough so that you can be helped? Honest enough to be helped. Not that you now come to church, I be here lifting hands, and you know you need help and counseling. Love is a safe place of shelter. It never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never goes. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, all of that, all of that. True spirituality is in a love walk. Not how much you prophesy. So now, if this is the standard of love, if this is God's standard of love, then Christian relationships must be creating an atmosphere. Victor, please come. Must be creating an atmosphere for love. If we say this is what love looks like, then let's create the atmosphere. Let me give you some extra relationship advice, free of charge. Love, if love is honest, then we must create an atmosphere for honesty in our relationships. Are you hearing me today? Don't be so, you know, sharp that people are scared to be honest around you. You must have a welcoming environment. Don't crucify people for being honest. Are you hearing me this morning? People shouldn't be condemned for being honest. There should be safety. There should be an atmosphere of safety in our relationships. I have a past, but my relationship should give me a safe place. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me today? I have a past though, but because of Jesus, I have a future. And please, don't you dare be dating someone and see them more as their past than their future. It's not Christian. At the slightest thing. Ah, it's just that, you know, that abuse thing that you say happened. Uh, it's just that, I think we just, the slightest thing. Uh, I just think, you know, that your ex. What do you say again about the, stop it. And so what Paul does is that he goes on to advise the Corinthians. We start from 1 Corinthians 7 and in, he's answering their questions. Now in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 2. Paul then says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Did you hear? What Paul is basically saying is go and marry. Go and marry. I'm in love with the Jesus guy. Go and marry. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is basically saying as it is, eh? Because of sexual, the way it is, Corinth, that you are going to work, you are seeing people coming down from the hill, sex here, everything, everything. You people know where you are, go and marry. Hmm? Is there not a similitude between Corinth and all that I've described and the day and age in which you live? And what Paul is saying, and my advice to you, brethren, go and marry. <laughs> and let me speak especially to the guys this morning. Because I know for a lady, there are factors, and honestly, sometimes, you know, who would approach, and there are all those conversations. But let me speak to the guys this morning. Don't behave like your unbeliever friends. Hmm? They're sitting down there saying, why am I rushing? Why, why, huh? I'm, I'm chilling, I'm still young, man. Hmm. Personally, I don't understand you. You have somebody you're dating, and you're telling me that, I'm not even thinking about marriage, eh? No. So what are you thinking about? Every morning, even if you're not thinking about it, your body is thinking about it. Every morning you wake up, all those things that you're feeling, your body is thinking about it. Don't behave like an unbeliever. Because maybe you don't know. Let me tell you what your unbeliever is doing. Your unbeliever friend. You, you're joining them. Imagine you're in Corinth. You're joining everybody and saying, man, this marriage thing, no, no, no. That guy is coming back from, from his orgy, from this prostitute. He's doing anything he wants to do. You're joining him to be saying, no, no, that marriage thing, man. Nobody should rush me, man. I'm still young. You're not ready to do what they're doing, I believe. 
And maybe you hear everything I'm saying and you're like, ah, you don't understand, you don't understand. We don't, the issue is, I love to, but we don't have money. How much do they pay to marry? Separate being married from wedding ceremony. Separate them. They're two different things. Hmm? Don't worry about photographer of 500K. We will use our phone. We will snap you. We will document it. Are you hearing me? Don't worry about makeup of... God will make your home. Are you hearing me? Um, separate ceremony from marrying. Hmm? Say, uh, no, uh, me, I've told myself from when I was young, I must first have a car. I can't allow me and my wife to be taking back. As we are both single now, what are you taking? <laughs> so, what? You can now decide that, ah, okay, right now, this is where we start from. In 10 years' time, we can do very new, we can feed the old city. It's okay. Anything you can afford. But start from where you are. Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, started from a manger, and they still raised the savior of the world. What you don't have today, you will have. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where you have not been today, you will go. Say, I know the issue is we need to know ourselves completely. <laughs> There's no perfect knowledge. We will continue to know. <laughs> before, you, before you went into university to study whatever course you studied or, and all of that, do you know what you needed? You needed enough knowledge for a direction. Then you went to go and study it. Abi, hey, I need enough knowledge to know this somebody I'm going with. And then we will now spend the rest of our lives knowing ourselves. But that knowledge, oh, I, we're asking on Friday, I can't wait for you guys to see this conversation. We're asking my parents, 42 years of marriage, where, where are you now? What's this face? My father said that, uh, you know, he keeps praying for more understanding. I said, hey, 42 years. <laughs> I said, oh man, we did this thing. I'm like, <laughs> and honestly, let me talk to you guys. Stop going around behaving like a boy. Throwing lines all over the place. You are not a child. Hmm? Oh, day. You are not a child. Every day, all you think of, you say, man, I'm not that Do you know how old you are? You think, uncle, uncle, your boy, day here. Oh, remember your boy. You oh, remember, you go home. Mommy, mommy, my boxers are old. You are not a child, though. At your age. At your age. The energy you should be using to raise children. You are just using it to raise weight. <laughs> Is it, let me ask you, is it, is it, let me ask you, listen, 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 listen. Is it pension that you want to use to pay school fees? Is it pension that you want to use to pay school fees? Look at what Paul said, oh, go and marry. That is why when you now come, we have pre-wedding counseling. Hmm? We'll help you. The things you need to know, we'll tell you. And you go on your journey. Where the world is now? What before, at the age 50, people did not know. Now, at 13, the world has moved. In every other sphere, you are doing things that they were not doing at your age. But just this thing, you are just saying, hey, one day, like, ah, mom, mom, nobody, uh. <laughs> That's what they say. In week four, we will talk about marriage. It's not for today. We'll talk about that. Um, one more thing I would say, relationships, don't date in secret. Hmm? Jesus guy can be dating a Jesus girl, but if they are doing it in the dark, they are doing it in Satan's house. Uh, you say, we just want our privacy. Why are you hiding? 
Why are you hiding? I'm not saying that you must become a broadcaster. Eh? That you must take up job with this race. I'm not saying you must become a broadcaster. But I'm saying key people, people of significance in your life. Don't you tell me nobody knows. People that you do life with, your leaders, your mentors, your, your life group members, your, your church people around you. Nobody knows. It's, it's like, let me tell you two reasons why. Number one, accountability. Hmm? It's just something about somebody, about being accountable. But secondly, and let me challenge relationships. We need models. People, the only models, you're asking a young person now, you want to date and all of that. The only thing they have to look to is one movie, one celebrity somewhere, one American star. We need Christian models. Bring your relationship out. Let's see it. Let's see what God is doing in your life. Let's learn your process. We need models. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill. They don't, they don't hide light under. Except it's that you want to do what is wrong. But if your commitment is to do what is right, then put it there. Let us... Tim, come. Let me close. Wow. Sometimes I just love those moments when I, I have a five-year-old son and I love those moments where you're trying to teach him something and you are trying to say, man, let's do it this way. And at the start, he's scared to his teeth. You can see, actually like seeing the fear in his eyes and all of that. And I like moving it from fear to courage by saying, just watch me do it, okay? Watch me do it. Just watch how I do it. Take the step I take and all of that. And you just see somebody who couldn't do something stand in those steps. And you just see that progression of now starting to do it. It's such a beautiful human feeling. And today as I land, I just want to remind us that because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11, which I quoted, it says that, you know, um, no other foundation can anybody lay other than why which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I just believe that if we have Jesus for a foundation of our lives, and that's what Paul is doing, that in reminding and in coming to the 1 Corinthians 7 and the questions you're asking, I want to remind you that if you have Jesus for a foundation of your life, if you are building this thing on who Jesus is to you, that in loving and in living and in earning and in hoping and in dating and in marrying and all of that, if my foundation is Jesus, then the sufficiency of who Jesus is is more than enough. But maybe more than that. Sometimes in knowing that Jesus is my foundation and I want to build on him, sometimes the next question is, yes, I want to, but I just feel like I can't. And I feel many times as I look around and as I look at the things I need to step into in this whole space of love and dating, sometimes I feel the pressure of what I can't reach and I feel like myself, like my son, with that intimidation and trepidation of what I can't do. And I just feel like I can't. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just stop at being my foundation. I'm so glad that my Bible tells me that, okay, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. What Jesus then did is he said in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is telling husbands, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. You know what Jesus did is that he then took it a step further and he said, man, these guys are not getting it so good let me come and be their example and as they're trying to figure out this whole space and all the pressures they'll face let them be able to look to me as the perfect example of everything they're aspiring to and so Jesus comes to become my example in loving and so every one more day as I see the space that I'm trying to live up to and the strength I need and what I need to become and how I'm trying to reach and you know love and stretch myself and become you know the beautiful thing is I can look to Jesus and say he's not just my foundation, he's my example and he's the one that works in me and today I just pray that you'll be reminded wherever you are on this journey, whatever you're trying to figure out, whatever you're doing and whatever decisions and all of that, I pray today that you'll be finding a courage from a Jesus who is both your foundation and your example your foundation and your example and your empowerment, a Jesus who went before you and you know made the way and set it all right and now you can come and say I'm just putting my steps in his steps and I'm just, oh I know this love thing is so huge 
huge and sometimes I feel so impatient and sometimes I feel so irritable but here I can't be leading on who Jesus is to me. The context of my relationship is not the world around me. The context of my relationship is first who Jesus is to me and because of who Jesus is to me I can be walking a love story even in the middle of a broken down world and all of that. I can be walking a beautiful love story because of who Jesus is to me. My prayer today is that whoever you are, wherever you are, the revelation of who Jesus is to you will be stronger than the world around and about you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet this morning? And I would just love to give you a moment, everybody, to respond. I don't know where you are and I don't know what touches on you today. For some people, it's a decision. For some people, it's a challenge. For some people, it's an encouragement. For somebody, it's a correction. For somebody, it's just a sense of hope and a sense of direction. But today, would you just respond to God? If you need to lift your hands, that's awesome. But just respond to God today. I don't know what's touching on you and where you just need the Holy Spirit to be working these words in your heart. But would you just respond to God today? Say, God, make me the person that you see for me to be. Make me the man. Make me the woman. If you need to pray over your relationship today, if you need to pray over a relationship you are in or one you would be in or pray over your marriage today and say God make us the kind of people Lord where I need courage give me the courage where I need strength give me the strength God in the name of Jesus make me the person that you want me to be I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to work on hearts today I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to people I believe that the Holy Spirit is nudging people come on just give him room today give him liberty in your heart today God make me the person you want me to be make me the person you want me to be for some people it's an awareness that the Holy Spirit is popping up on your heart just pray today God make me the person that you want me to be make me the person that you want me to be make me the person I give myself I surrender my life today make me the person in my living in my loving in all that I am and all that I do make me the person that you want me to be in Jesus name while we all stay standing, I want to make an invitation. Somebody came to church today and you can't confidently say you're in the right place with God. You see, there's only one way you can be made right with God. Of ourselves, we can't. Of ourselves, we can try harder, do all that we know to do. But none of us can make our way right with God. It takes a God who can make the way right with us. And he did that through Jesus. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus went up on the cross. He died a death. He had no business dying. He was innocent. He had no sin. So why did he die? Because of us. Because we were guilty. We were sinners. And so he took upon himself our own punishment. So that if today you would come to him and say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I put my dependence in you as my road to God. Then you will be saved. And that's my invitation today for somebody who says, I need to be made right with God. Maybe you're living in sin. Maybe you're far away from God today. Maybe you really feel like I've made mistakes. Maybe you feel like I've really messed up. Or maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you're new in church. It really doesn't matter. My one question is, can you boldly say that you're in the right place with God through Jesus? If you say you're speaking to me, that's me. I need to be made right with God. I'm going to ask everybody to just bow their heads and close their eyes in this moment. I'm going to count to three. And right where you are, I want you to put your hand on your chest. Let him see you. Let him know you. It's a deliberate statement you're making to God today. And this is going to be the biggest miracle you've ever experienced in your life. Because you're going to be forgiven today. Your sins are going to be washed away. And you're going to have a whole new life with God today. Are you ready? Speaking to me, I need to be made right with God. One, two, three. Put your hand on your chest right where you are. Whether you're in this building or you're online anywhere. Just put your hand on your chest. God sees you and he knows you. Thank you. Thank you for your sincerity this morning. Thank you. That's a miracle happening in your life today. Thank you. I believe there are also people online this morning. 
Just do that. Let him see you. Let him know you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You know what? This is a family, not a crowd. If your hand is on your chest, we're going to join with you this morning to say a prayer together. All right? I would like you to say these words with boldness, knowing that God hears your voice today. Can we all say together, Heavenly Father, I come to you today because you've made a way for me to come through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. See, I boldly declare that Jesus Christ is the son of God and is the savior of the world. Say today, I declare Jesus as my Lord and my savior. Say, please forgive me of the past. Give me a whole new start. Say, wash me clean in your blood. Say, I give everything to follow you. So I boldly declare, I'm a child of God. And one day, I'll be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you pray that prayer at the end, we are so excited about your decision for Jesus and we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash Jesus. There you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you are listening or visit www.sycamore.church forward slash resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.